Good morning. Wonderful seeing all of you here this morning. So glad that you could join us. Well, Tuesday's a big day for me, I reckon. Hopefully I'll be limping a lot less. Hopefully. It's taken me limping for five months. It's taken dozens of my friends, including you, three doctors, and my lovely wife to convince me, Dale, something's not quite right. You seem like you're not walking like you normally do. And that's true. It's taken me a long time to finally convince myself that, well, I'm a little broken. My left hip's not doing quite so good, so they're going to swap it out on Tuesday. And according to many of you, I should be able to do a marathon by next weekend. Maybe not that soon. But I do think that I'll be feeling much better, and I appreciate your kind words and, and your thoughts and prayers. But some things are better broken. Glow sticks. You can't use a glow stick if you don't break it and shake it up a little bit. A mosaic, right? A mosaic is created by breaking glass, gluing those things back together. Some things are better broken, and that includes a heart. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We're talking this morning about why a broken heart is a good thing, spiritually speaking. Because so often we try to keep things together due to pride. We try to not come across as being broken spiritually. But let me tell you, spiritually speaking, it's one of the best things that you can do for yourself is to see the brokenness that you have in your life. Psalm 51, 17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. You see, it's the broken things in this world that God takes and creates wonderful things from it because it is our brokenness that causes us to reach out to Him because it is only in those broken spaces that we can really feel God with and actually feel something worthwhile, feel something that will carry us through life, feel something that will carry us throughout eternity. And the only way we can feel those things is if we are broken, is if we have this contrite heart. You know, I looked in other translations, and the word contrite kept coming up. Not a word we use quite often, but it means this. Contrite, contriteness, a contrite heart is a feeling of remorse. It is the feeling you have when you repent. If you come forward in a little while, it's because you have a contrite heart. It's because you realize you have sin in your life and because you realize that I want God to be put into those spaces. I want God to fill those spaces. Have you ever, have you ever cracked your windshield on your car? It's really neat when the company will come and they fill in the spaces, right? If it's small enough, They'll put this device and they'll squirt glue into it and it'll, it'll hold it all together. Now you still see the crack a little bit. It's still there, <clears throat> but it's fixed because the right things were put in place. We're all broken spiritually. And unless we feel those cracks with the wisdom of Jesus, 
with the knowledge of our Heavenly Father, with the Holy Spirit, unless we fill those cracks with those things, we will continue to be broken, we will continue to hurt, and we'll all have much more to worry about than a slight limp. So we must consider, if we are broken today, how, how can we find God in a better fashion? How can we reach out to Him better and start putting Him into those cracks rather than something else? We need to look to the great physician. Dr. Rose, I hope, is going to be a great physician on Tuesday, but the great physician is the one that we all need, Jesus Christ, for our spiritual brokenness. So let's look at some passages this morning. A broken heart realizes its sin. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. A broken heart realizes its sin. If sin separates me from God, pushes me away from Him, I need to realize what sin is in my life so that I can get rid of it. So I can stop doing it. So I can change my heart. When I, when I do counseling with couples, you know, I talk to them a lot about behaviors, you know, how to talk to one another and so forth. But there's one thing that it's nearly impossible to change, and that's the changing of the heart. You see, that spouse has to learn to love their spouse once again. And as much as I'd like to reach in and, and, and change that heart, I can't do it. They have to make the decision, and only God can truly change your heart. And sometimes that's where sin is. Sin's not always about, you know, what we do outwardly, what people see. A lot of times it's about what you think. A lot of times it's about how you feel about someone, a group of people or something. A lot of times it's how you feel about yourself. And you've got to realize the sin in your life so that you can get rid of it because it, that sin is filling your cracks right now. It's filling your brokenness. And it's only causing more pain. Got to get that out of there so you can put God into it. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people. So Saul is king over the Israelites. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. You are the representative here, Saul. Samuel, the spiritual leader of Israelite at this time, of the Israelites at this time, talking to Saul, says, Listen to him. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek. For what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming up from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has. And do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. God tells Saul to wipe out the Amalekites. Just a little history here. The Amalekites were a group of people that had attacked the children of Israel right after they escaped slavery from Egypt. They had just crossed the Red Sea and hadn't even made it to Mount Sinai when the Amalekites came and attacked them. Of course, God came to their rescue that day, and when He did, He made a promise to the Israelites. And we read about this in Exodus 17, verse 14. And this all happened long ago before Saul's time, but now God is going to use Saul to carry out this judgment. Verses 2 and 3, we've read that. Verses 8 and 9, let's read there. So, God has told Saul to strike the Amalekites, utterly destroy all of them, put to death everything, even the, even the livestock. Saul, I want you to kill it all. That's what God has instructed him to do. Verse 8, 
he captured Agag the king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and were not willing to destroy them utterly. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Saul did what God told him to do, but he didn't completely do it all. God told him to utterly destroy them all, but what did he do? He took what he thought was okay to take. He took what he thought would benefit him and his people, and he went against what God instructed him to do. Verse 10, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night. Don't we do this sometimes? We see an instruction of the Lord. We, we hear teachings of the New Testament, of the Old Testament. We think, I can probably do that better. You know, if you're putting a car together, you, 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 don't, you don't try to change what the designer put in there because he, he put it in there for a reason. Any sort of technology that's out there can certainly be improved upon, but if you want it to look like it did when the originator created it, you've got to do it like he said. You've got to follow his instructions. Saul thought better. He thought, well, I'm going to do what I think is best for my people. And Samuel, he confronts him over this. We see in verse 11, Samuel was distressed and cried out to the Lord all night because of this man who was disobedient, this king who was disobedient, probably full of pride, and thought, I'm just going to do it the way I want to do it. Verse 12, Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have carried out the command of the Lord. Now, did you, Saul? Now, did you really? Samuel's looking for him. Saul's already done some things. He finds Saul. Look at what I did, Samuel. I did exactly what the Lord has commanded. But Samuel said in verse 14, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Samuel or Saul, if you did exactly what God said, what are all these goats? What are these, all these oxen? What are all these things running around that God instructed you to destroy? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest... We have utterly destroyed. So I kind of followed it. Samuel, you know, wasn't this okay? Apparently it was not. God told Samuel, I'll keep them straight. God told Samuel in an earlier verse, you know, I've regretted that I've made Saul king of the Israelites. It, it grieved God that he had made him, that he had put him in that leadership position. Uh, and while Samuel is trying to correct Saul, why did you do this? What? What's the big deal? Minimizing, okay? That's what people try to do today. They try to minimize their sin. When, this, when sin is this huge thing that affects them in so many ways in their lives, they try to shrug it off and say, it's not a big deal. You see, they try to minimize it. Verse 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey 
is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. So we talked about it this morning in our study of Jeremiah. You know, there are things that you can do that are elements of worship, right? You can sacrifice things. You can do that. But God wants obedience. See, you can follow the actions. You can read the instructions. And you can do all of those things. But God wants something more than just that. Those are supposed to be tools, you see. Our songs here, prayers, reading, our worship assembly. These are meant to mean something to you. They're meant to connect you with a God in heaven who loves you. But if you're just going through the actions, you see, you're just kind of checking off the list, and it's not hitting you in the heart. It's not hitting you in those broken places. You're missing out. Verse 23, for rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. That's what Samuel is telling Saul here. You know what? You, you've, you've done what you wanted to do. You rejected the word of the Lord. A lot of people today, in this day and age as well, in Scripture, they question the authority of God. Well, should I follow it that way? Should I do it as the New Testament says? The answer is yes. The answer is certainly. The answer is, eternity's on the line here for you, and here's the God that we serve. He told Saul to do something. Saul said, I think I can do it better. And now God is sad that he put him in that position. And so Samuel is trying to convey to Saul and to us today, hey, if God tells you to do something, you need to follow it. You need to make it a huge part of your life. You need to put it in your heart. You need to act on it regularly. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now the reality is coming out. Saul tried to minimize it at first, but now he's being honest about it, thankfully, and says, I feared the people, and I listened to them rather than to God. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. So he tried to make it right. He tried to come out and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I understand now. But it seems as though his heart earlier on was already in the wrong place. And Samuel had to tell him, no, the Lord has already rejected you. You see, pride keeps our hearts from breaking. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus fed the 5,000. Well, that's a miracle. I'm pretty impressed at all-you-can-eat night at Montana Grill in Bowling Green. I'm real impressed on those nights. But I can't imagine how I'd be watching Jesus continually to pull food out of these baskets to break the bread and to pass it along and to take the fish and to feed this 5,000 people. I would be amazed at that. But Mark chapter 6, verses 51 and 52 says this, Jesus got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. So they saw another miracle at this point. And they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. You see, sometimes your heart can be so hard that it's difficult to break. You've got to soften that heart so that you can break, right? So that you can see how you need God. Because otherwise, you're going to keep it all together. You're going to keep it all together, and God's not going to be able to get into that heart. Well, let's look at an example 
of a broken heart. Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. We see here David, the story of David, the, the king after Saul. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 15. Show us what a broken heart can and should look like. We know in the previous chapters that David committed adultery with Uriah's wife Bathsheba. To hide his sin, he had Uriah killed in battle. 2 Samuel 12 and verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children, a pet. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So Nathan told David in a way that he could hear the message with a story that was going to reach David and reach into his heart and say, David, what do you think about this moral decision? This decision, the rich man, the injustice that's placed here. You see, that's what we try to do in our Bible classes. That's what I try to do up here each Sunday. That's what all of our speakers do who come up here is they try to connect you with a story that's going to mean something. It's going to show you an injustice. Hopefully you see it in your life and you think to yourself, i got to change. i got to change. i got to do something differently. David responds to this story in verse 5. It says that his anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He takes a man's ewe lamb that's just like his own daughter. This is a terrible thing. Verse 6, he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold. So he must be punished as well because he did this thing and had no compassion. <clears throat> Nathan then said to David, you are that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. Saul had a moment of repentance we read of a moment ago, but he goes back to his old ways and God actually had to save David from the hand of Saul, from, from him actually being murdered. Well, here Nathan the prophet relays this story to David. David is angry about it. And Nathan looks at him and says, David, that's you. You're the man who has done this thing. You, you took a woman who was not your wife. She, she had a, a child and you had her husband murdered. And this is a terrible thing to have occurred. And so David's sin is laid out before him. A lot of times that's the problem. If you don't see your sin, and if somebody doesn't lay it out for you, or if you are prideful and say, well, what I'm doing is okay, what I did was okay, I see nothing wrong with that, even though Scripture clearly teaches against it. Unless your sin is laid out for you, unless someone has the strength to confront you with that sin, you may never see it. But, but here, Nathan, in a very creative, methodical spirit-driven way shows David, here's the sin in your life. That's what I'm trying to do today. That's what I try to do every Sunday. What is the sin that's in your life that you need to get rid of? 
And I can just imagine King David hearing Nathan speak. David probably on his throne when this is going on, and his heart skips a beat. He gasps for a second. Somebody knows. You see, because David, he tried to hide it. That's why he had Uriah put to the front of the lines, and he, had him, he was killed, essentially, for that. And so David thought his sin was hidden. And maybe your sin is hidden. Maybe you keep it hidden very well. Somebody's finding it, though. Somebody's going to see it. Somebody's going to come across it, whether it might be your spouse or a friend or your children. They're going to find out the sin that's in your life. And if, if they don't, God knows. And that is hurting your relationship with Him. It's causing the pain that's in those cracks. The pain that's in those cracks is causing it to be so much worse because you don't have a contrite heart. Let's turn to Psalm 51. Let's turn to Psalm 51. Instead of turning pridefully away from your brokenness, open up to it. Recognize the sin that's in your life, the evil that you do regularly, the things that God cannot be happy with. And maybe you sound like Saul. Saul just, you know, bebopping along, doing, doing what he thought was good and fun, made all the people happy. Wow, they've got all these great new goats and new oxen to plow their field. All the while, he's pushing away. God told you not to do that. God told you to do something different. Ah, just, just get out of here. I don't, I don't want to hear that stuff. The people are happy with me. They are happy with me, and I am happy. And all of a sudden, God's role in Saul's life is minimized. Well, what about David? Does things he knows are wrong while he's doing them. A friend, a prophet, Nathan, confronts him about that. We read in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. The child eventually passes, dies, and David mourns and returns back to his normal life soon thereafter. In Psalm chapter 51, we see brokenness here. Psalm chapter 51, verses 1 and 2. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. This is the psalm that he wrote. Some of your headings may say this. This is the psalm that David wrote when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had committed his adulterous act with Bathsheba. So this is the view from a broken heart. When poets are hurting, when they're happy, in this case, when they're hurting, they tend to write. And this is what David reflected on. In this broken heart, you see in verses 1 and 2 that he desires mercy. That's what a broken heart desires, for God to be merciful to him. Verse 3, For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. He says, I have sinned. And here he is desiring humility. I've sinned against you, Lord. He, David, he doesn't blame anybody else. Whenever we are confronted with our sin, we try to point the finger someplace else. Be a man, be a strong Christian about this, and own that sin the way David does here. He says, I have sinned against you. I sinned. What did Eve say? 
the serpent. What did Adam say? The woman that you gave me, Lord, she made me sin. Be humble about this and own what you have done. Verse, verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in, my, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Verse 7, Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What does sin do? Sin makes us dirty. And here David is asking God, verses 7 through 15, he is desiring cleansing. Sin should make you feel dirty. Sin should make you feel such that, you know, I just I want to get away from this sin. When it doesn't create guilt, when it doesn't make you feel dirty, it's because you've accepted it so much. And it has such a hold on you. Verse 16 says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. So is this passage that David is saying, Lord, you, you desire restoration here. I know there are certain things that you're, you're okay with having, others that you are not, but I know ultimately that you desire me. Verse 17, he says, the sacrifice you desire, what you really want, is a broken spirit. Lord, I could sacrifice all day long. What you really want is for me to be broken so that you can come into my heart. You know, God wants you here every Sunday. He wants you watching from home if you can't be here. God wants you here. But what he wants beyond that even is a broken spirit. He wants you to want to be here. He wants you to want to have communion with Him. He wants your spirit to be such that you long to be in His presence while you're here. And when you're not here and you're reading your scriptures and you're praying to Him, this is what brokenness looks like. It desires these things. Mercy and humility, cleansing, restoration. And ultimately it knows that God wants certain things from us. And one of those things is that broken spirit, that contrite heart that repentant spirit that says, Lord, I've done wrong, and I want to do better. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 15 says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressors is hard. Saul continued to make excuses for his behavior. God was never pleased with him. David, on the other hand, it was pointed out to him what he had done, and he said, I'm done living that life. I'm going to start living right for God, and you can do that today. The way of the transgressor is hard. Living a sinful life is difficult. Come forward this morning. Let us baptize you so that you are added to the body of Christ. Or if you are a Christian and you've fallen away, come forward. Let us pray with you so that your sins might be forgiven and you might be restored and cleansed and joined once again to our Heavenly Father in spirit. Please come forward now while we stand and sing to encourage you.